Well, as you are getting settled in, I'd invite you to get your Bibles out, or if you interact with Scripture on your electronic device, you can turn those on, connect them to the Wi-Fi. If you're looking for the password, it's simply Centralia Church, uh, all one word, all lowercase. And as you are doing that, can you multitask? You can? Good. Good. So, everybody comes from a household or is in a household with multiple people in it. And so, what I want you to do is take a moment, especially you kids. This is the fifth Sunday on the calendar, and whenever we, there's five Sundays in a month, the fifth one is always what we call a family worship Sunday. And so, we invite all of the kids who usually are right here in the first couple rows with us during the the singing time, and then they go downstairs for messaging that's more age-appropriate. But on the fifth Sunday, we invite all of us to be in the same room at the same time, and it is awesome. So, kids, I need your help, okay? And you need to speak loudly to your neighbors. What I want you to do is, is... Tell somebody near you what is one rule in your house, okay? A rule that you have in your house, whether you like it or not. Just, just think of the rules that you have in your house. Ready? Okay, go. <laughs> it sounds like there's rules that we have. All right, what are, what are some of the rules that we have? Kids, any, what's one rule that you have in your house? Don't drink out of the toilet. Out of the toilet. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> Don't kill each other. Don't kill each other. That's, a, that's really a good rule. Yep. Any other rules in the back? Don't, don't what? Don't unroll the toilet paper. That's a good one. If I could convince my cats not to do that, we'd all be good. Oh, <laughs> parents love this time of the... <laughs> Any other rules? Hey, you know what? I, I, looked up, I looked up some interesting rules that are on the books in the state of Washington. Can I share them with you? So these are some interesting laws that exist. Um, so up in Seattle, you are not allowed, so these, this is more like a public service time, because I really don't want you to fracture any of these rules inadvertently, you know? Okay, so up in Seattle, if you're going to take public transportation, if you take the bus in Seattle, you're not allowed to take a fishbowl onto the bus. And specifically because the sloshing sound of the water might disturb the other passengers. That's the explanation that... I didn't make these up. Uh, It is illegal to attach a vending machine to a utility pole. So if you have any ideas, just don't do it. Uh, Now, it used to be, this one I think has been banished, like we took this one off the books, but this was kind of interesting to me, seeing as what we're doing right now fits into the category. It used to be illegal to interrupt a religious meeting by having a horse race. So if anybody's thinking about having a horse race today, it's, it's legal now. It's legal. All right. This one, make sure you obey this one. It's illegal to sleep in an outhouse without the owner's express permission. So if you're looking for a place to nap today, just make sure you knock on the front door. Hey, can I sleep over there? And here, this is the best one in the state of Washington. Uh, harassing Bigfoot is a felony which is punishable by a fine and or imprisonment. So if you're going out searching for Bigfoot, don't harass him because you just might end up in jail. And, you know, it's, uh, of course, all of these have to be true because I found them on the internet, right? All right, all right. So, but we are all forewarned, and so I don't want to be getting any text messages saying, hey, can you call so-and-so because they're, they're suffering the consequences of fracturing one of these. Well, you have your Bibles open. Uh, we've been in a series of messages in the Gospel of Mark, and today we are in chapter 7. So if you would uh, stand with me to the honor of the authority of the Word of the Lord, we'll mostly be looking 
at verses 9 through 13, but we need to have the context of the story. And so it actually starts in Mark 7, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 23 this morning. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. And so we need to remember that Mark is likely uh, writing to Christians who are in Rome. So these are Gentile folk. And so he, he puts a parenthetical explanation in here so that his readers would understand some of the purity laws uh, that the Jews faced back uh, in Jerusalem. So parenthetically, he says, the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they have their hands, uh, they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding on to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? And he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written... These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, and their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corban, or meaning uh, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition, and you have handed down, uh, to the tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone. Understand this. Nothing, nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about the parable. Are you so dull, he asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Can I get an amen for some bacon? <laughs> He went on, what comes out of a person, what comes out of a person, what comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, of our own will, of our own choosing, that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can, you can be seated. Well, I think if we're really honest, we can say that um, rules are helpful for us. And I, I boiled the sermon down into one sentence for you again today, so it would be really easy to remember. So, you know, you're not going to forget this one as you leave today. It's printed on your core guide, it's printed on your bulletin, so you shouldn't forget the sermon title. And, and it is that uh, prodigal grace knows no boundaries. Prodigal grace knows no boundaries. And so we're going to take a look at that sentence and pick it apart using the text that we just read. And I think that we will start with boundaries, rules, uh, traditions, and uh, practices and things like that create boundaries for us. And boundaries, rules, traditions, things that help uh, 
shape us, we could put in, we could classify as, as good things, right? They're good? I, I remember uh, playing on the beach when I was a kid, and I brought my, I brought a beach towel here today. Actually, I forgot it, and uh, Lisa bailed me out. But um, <clears throat> yes, my sermon illustration was left at home. Uh, I'm going to put the beach towel over here, okay? Now, when we would go and, can everybody see that? Nice and colorful. When we would go and play at the beach on Lake Superior, my favorite days to go play in the, at the beach were the ones where the big waves were coming in and crashing the shore. And you could get out into the water and you could body surf those waves and you could, you know, crash into them and jump over them and go underneath them. And if you get hit by a big wave, it's kind of disorienting once in a while, especially when it's like 50 degree water or whatever it was at the time. And so while we were playing at the beach, we would have some boundaries. Okay, so as we were out in the water playing, our boundary markers, when we looked back at shore, were the towels, wherever we set up our towels and our little buckets and shovels and so forth. So the, the towel was a marker on the beach for us. It created a boundary line for us. And then we would be sitting there, and mom and dad would look down the beach, and they would find uh, on Lake Superior, you'd have a lot of driftwood that would just wash up on the shore. And I didn't have a really huge piece of driftwood today, but I, we, I had Brian go out, and, and he got this. Um, by the way, if you need firewood, the scouts do a fantastic job, and um, that's another story. But this is a piece of driftwood, okay? So on one side, we have the driftwood as another boundary marker. And on, on the side, all the way over here were the towels. So when my sister and I were out in the water, jumping up and down in the waves and just getting smacked around, if we ever got disoriented, we could turn around and we could look at the beach and we could make sure that we were between the towel and the log. It created a healthy boundary for us. Because when you are out splashing around in the waves and you're jumping from one and chasing another, oh, that one's going to be big, and you start, you know, going, it's easy to just work your way down the beach, and before you know it, you have no idea where you set up camp. And so every so often, my folks would say, remember to look at the shore and find the boundary markers, the towel on the one side over here and the driftwood log on the other side over here clear boundaries, right? And they were helpful and good. You know, when we think about the rules that we uh, live by, they're designed to bring order to our lives. And healthy rules, healthy boundaries, allow us to live with a certain sense of freedom because we know where the markers are, the towel on one side, the log on the other side, and anything in the middle is free to do. So when we think about rules for our households, for our society, for our educational system, for our you know, places where we are employed, for our church, for our faith, anywhere that there is a rule, a tradition, a, a boundary marker, they're generally put in there for good reason, so that it will provide some order and give us some room to move because we will sense uh, some freedom because we know where the boundary markers are, the towel on one side of the beach and the driftwood log on the other side of the beach. Now, once in a while, our rules, our traditions, our boundary markers might go from good to unhealthy, from good to, to bad, if you will. And when good boundaries begin to cross that line of going bad, it's because we're, we begin to utilize those as ways of saying, well, I'm playing on the, on the beach in between the log and the towel, but those other people that are not, 
in the boundaries, well, I'm better than them. Oh. You've never seen religion go this way, have you? You've never seen, you know, people out in society go this way, like, whew, I follow this set of rules. It must make me somehow superior to people who aren't observing the same set of boundaries that I am. You've never seen this happen, right? Okay, never. Other places that you may have visited, but certainly not here. Uh, When you begin to think that you're superior to other people because of the choices that you make uh, or the morals that you live by or the lifestyle that you choose or your religion or whatever it is, when you begin to think that you are superior, sometimes it works its way into our psyche that others are less than, less than us because they're not meeting the same standards as, as we are. And, and then, if you take it a little bit further, once in a while you, see, you might see this happen, you might see somebody who tries to force their boundaries on somebody else. It would be like my sister and I going, you know, over to the line right here and starting to yell at the people on the other side of this, hey, you're supposed to be in here. And if you're not, you're doing something wrong. You've never seen anything like that, right? But I think that it happens on occasion. We start forcing our boundaries, our rules, the things that we choose to live by, and we force them on other people. And then if they push back at all and say, hmm, I don't know if that's for me, then we start judging them because they have rejected the boundaries that you have suggested that they adopt for their life. Well, now we start to run into some problems. The boundaries that we put in place, the towel on one side, the log on the other side, now become what was something that started off as really good and healthy has now turned to be something that's negative and destructive. Those boundaries might still be keeping my sister and I safe while we are playing on the beach because we won't get carried away one way or the other and we'll stay centered right in the area where our folks said that we were allowed to play. But, but what has happened is our boundaries, because we think these are right, have now changed our thinking about people who are on the other side of the boundaries. Well, you know, when Jesus came, he came along and he challenged these kinds of ways of thinking. Because it's not, it's not really our job to force our morality onto other people. If people don't claim Jesus as their Savior, then we shouldn't have an expectation that they obey all of the commands in the Bible because they don't understand this as an authority in their life yet. Now, we can pray and we can take the good news of the message of Jesus to people. That's one thing. Jesus says, yes, absolutely do that. Along with that, he's not saying, force your morals on them so that they will come to know me. He, it's the other way around. Introduce them to me and so they get introduced to my word and maybe a different way of living that might be helpful for them. So we can start off with good, healthy boundaries, and they can quickly get inverted. It's a human way of thinking. We want to be in. We want, we want to be in something. How many of you watched part of the NFL draft this week? Yeah, a few of you, or at least knew what was going on. How many of you are wearing an article of clothing that has a brand name on the outside, not on the inside tag? A few of you, right? Um, there are things that we use to identify ourselves as being part of the in-group, whatever it is. And if you are part of the in-group, what does that mean? It means that there's somebody that's out. There's somebody that's not... You can't be in something if there's not anybody that's out, right? Because everybody would, everybody would be in, which I hope we can, you know make a huge dent in bringing the gospel to our community so everybody can be in. That's what Jesus would want. 
But sometimes we get the feeling or we start living the boundaries and rules and traditions and so forth, and it changes, it inverts our thinking, right? So that we somehow think that we're in, and therefore other people are out. Uh, Jesus came and kind of shook us up a little bit. This is the problem that he had with the Pharisees repeatedly. He didn't dismiss their rules. He didn't dismiss their traditions. He came in to what? To fulfill all of that. He, he came up as a Jew, practicing these sorts of things. And so he didn't dismiss them as bad, but he reminded them of maybe why they were there and instituted uh, in, in the first place. So we have the Pharisees in our story who came from Jerusalem. Are, are you like me, uh, Star Wars fans here? A few? I know, I know there's a few. But whenever, I think the way that I was brought up to understand the Pharisees, that whenever the Pharisees make an appearance in the Scriptures, especially in the Gospels, I, I just have the... You know, that, that imperial march starts playing in my head. Dun, dun, dun. Here come the Pharisees. And they're after Jesus on this one. And they, Jesus is gathered. It says the Pharisees are gathered. With, it could be that they're all sharing a meal together. It says they're gathered there and the disciples were eating. So it seems to me like a meal was happening. So maybe Jesus had invited the Pharisees or vice versa. And, and so we're having a big dinner party. And the Pharisees see the disciples breaking the law. Whew. And it's a big deal to them. Uh, and they ask Jesus. And it's, this is a question, and it's not really a question. It's more of a, it's more of a statement. They say, um, where is it here? Why do your disciples eat with unwashed hands? Hmm. Do you approve of this? Jesus, you can't seriously be letting your disciples get away with eating with defiled, unwashed hands. Do you approve of this? Kind of in that tone that's accusatory. Like, are you serious? You can't be serious. I don't know. What's the big deal? So the disciples didn't eat, you know, with washed hands, with clean hands. Some of you moms just went, <gasps> did, did he just say that? Like, well, in my house and in our house, it's kind of a, it's a rule. It's not like in writing anywhere. Just like washing your hands before dinner is nowhere to be found in Scripture as a rule. The priests did it in a ceremonial fashion, and the Pharisees started to just expand that, kind of this priesthood for all believers before, before that was really introduced. And so they're, hey, we, you know, so that we're holy and pure, we better be washing our hands before everything, all the way up to our elbows. Now, we have it as a rule in our house. It's a good idea. Germs are something, I guess. You know, when you're out on the trail, you just go, where's my fork? Time to eat. But the disciples didn't wash their hands. The Pharisees take exception to it. We might seem, it might seem to us like this is, I mean, this is like a, of all the things that they could pick on, they're talking about washed hands before you eat? Come on. That's not what they were asking about. They, they, were, they were needling Jesus because it's a purity issue. It was a purity issue. And Jesus, as he responds, he, he, uh, he drops the gloves pretty fast on this one. You know, did you notice that? I mean, they'd level this accusation, and Jesus is like, okay, you want to go? You are hypocrites. Now, that's a strong word. You are just a bunch of hypocrites. Do you hear yourselves talking? And he goes on to address their issue. He tells them they place too much emphasis on their traditions, which focus on the human customs, the human additions to the law instead of the revelation of God himself. So they're missing the point is what Jesus is saying. Now, we need to be fair. We, need, we really need to be fair to the Pharisees, okay? 
They, they were devout men of God who really, at their core, were trying to do the right thing as they had been brought up and as they knew it. So to hear the imperial march in the background, is, that's probably not a fair soundtrack for the Pharisees, although I like it, yeah. <clears throat> they were really making a sincere effort to bring a religious dimension to everything in life. And isn't that what holiness is all about? Trying to see all of life through the lens of Jesus? Trying to, to have every part of our lives in line and in step with where Jesus is going, going where he goes, doing what he does. Be, to become sanctified and whole and, and Christ-like, that is it, trying to have every part of your life in alignment with Jesus. Holy and pure, set apart. So the Pharisees, at their core, they're trying to do the right thing. And they're using the tools that they've been given. And Jesus, he just, he says, well, for right now, you're using the wrong tools. Well, if, where did this all start? So if we go through just like a real quick history lesson, would that be okay? Kids, you okay with a little history lesson with me today? All right. So about 500 years, we're going to use some round numbers. About 500 years before Jesus showed up, uh, in Jerusalem, there's this temple, and, and God's uh, presence was uh, viewed as residing in the temple in Jerusalem. And so the, the, the people expressed that as God is, God is with us in his presence at the temple. And in human thinking, if we think that God is on our side, if God lives in the temple, then nothing bad is ever going to happen to the temple, to Jerusalem, right? Because if God is there, how could he let something bad happen to where he lives? Well, we know when we read the pages of the Old Testament that the people of Israel kind of had this up and down roller coaster ride with, with God. They were in a covenant relationship with him. God said he would do things. They would be... Uh, his people, and, and they were to obey God, right? That was the deal. Well, the whole obedience thing was kind of, eh, sometimes we'll be obedient, other times, well, we're just going to choose to go our own way. And after a long period of rebellion against God, God said, okay, if you don't want me here, then I'll, I can just take a step back. And when he, when he stepped back a little bit, the Babylonians came in and leveled the place. And they, they destroyed the temple. And they picked up the people and they carted them off into exile, away from their land. How could God let something like this happen to his home? They wrestled with that. Why would God allow that to happen? They didn't get it, even though they had prophets there telling them, you're sinning, you're sinning, you're sinning, the warning lights are flashing, it's like you're driving up to a cliff, and there's, you know, flashing lights all the way there, and you wonder, I wonder what they're trying to get my attention about, and you ignore all the signs, and pretty soon you drive off the cliff, and then you're like, I wish somebody would have told me. <laughs> so it was 50 years or more before people were able to start coming back. To Jerusalem. And, they, and when they came back, they were trying to figure out, now, what went wrong? What, I mean, what, what did we do wrong? How, how do we, what was the point of all of this? What, what did we learn? At least they were wondering, what mistakes did we make that we need to, to learn from? And there were plenty of theories that were on the table. If you read Isaiah, he argues that the problem was, was that God's people had become isolated from the world and the world's problems. God's interests, um, Isaiah would say that God's interests are in people caring for other people. Isaiah would say that God's interested in us being involved with the world and getting mixed up in its pain. That's what Isaiah would say. Well, 
There were other theories that were out there. If you read uh, Ezra and Nehemiah and, and some others, you'll find kind of an opposite argument where Isaiah would say, hey, you need to get your hands dirty and you need to go over here and you need to help these people. That, that's what living the gospel is all about. Remember God had said to, the, to Abraham, hey, you're going to be the one who introduces me to the rest of the world. So the, the people of Israel were kind of born out of this desire in God's heart that all would, know, would come to know him at some point. And so Isaiah is, is pointing him out, hey, you need, you need not forget about that. You need to get out there and, and minister to people. Others, they kind of took the opposite side of the argument, and they said, oh, no, oh, no. We need to close ourselves off. We need to separate ourselves from the world because the world is defiling us. And we need to escape to our sanctuaries and work on holiness and purity. See, these folks believe that God's interest is in purity and keeping people undefiled by the world. It's not engagement with, with others, but avoidance that pleases God. So you have two distinct arguments. In the one camp over here, it's you need to be engaged with what's going on in the world. You need to help people. And then on the other side over here is, no, no. you got to avoid the world because it's defiling you. It's making you unclean and unfit to be in God's presence. Guess which camp won the day? This one over here. So for hundreds of years... It had been kind of cemented in their mindset, especially in the Pharisees. You know what the word Pharisee means? Set apart ones. So the Pharisees' bent was towards separation. We need to be holy and pure and set apart for God. So they were always concerned with the things that would mess up the purity. So they made a big deal about following the laws that were designed to help keep them pure. Well, Jesus comes along and he just shakes the whole thing up. He mixes up their categories. Hmm. You know, we sang about it. it. It's still the tension that the people of God, that the church wrestles with all of the time. Are we to gather in a place like this for our own benefit? Yes. To worship the Lord? Yes. To read and study and hear the Word? Yes. Are we to teach one another, admonish one another when we need it? And we need it once in a while. Sometimes we just mess up and we get it wrong. But we have a brother or sister who will point it out and say, you know what, we can do better. And they're right. So we could kind of hive ourselves off and separate ourselves from the world. And I think that would be a good thing. We, we need time when we pull away and we worship the Lord and we're in His presence and we share that with one another as a way to strengthen and encourage one another. Amen? Amen? Yeah, we need it. That's why we, the rhythm of our week is designed that on a regular basis we keep putting our feet into this place so that we have our feet planted on the same ground as other people who are trying to be faithful to the same things we are. And it's wonderfully encouraging to look around and know that I'm not the only one who's in the struggle. So, yes, I can, I can agree with that part of what the Pharisees said. But that, you know, that kind of prevented them from thinking that we should go over here and, whoo, we might get a little messy. It's like we don't have to wash our hands before dinner. I might have a little dirt. Oh. 
we get messed up and entangled with what's going on in the world. It was painted in the Pharisees' minds that, as a point of fear. You, you can't do that because you might defile yourself. But clearly Jesus comes and he takes up Isaiah's message. He grew up in the message over there, the holiness, the purity, all of that. Wonderful stuff. But it was missing part of the gospel. It's missing part of what God had for everybody. And he reminded him. Remember, we showed up to church the first time that they asked him to preach. And they handed him the scroll, Isaiah. He rolls out the scroll. Isaiah, right? He was the one over here trying to push people out. Hey, social engagement. Get out there in the world. Point people to Jesus by being with him. Opens up that scroll. <laughs> Isaiah 61. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. He has sent me, you know, to... Remember this? You know this one. This is part of our story. To set the captives free. He, he goes through a, a list of things in Isaiah that instigate or provoke or poke people to get out to where people are broken. And Jesus says, I'm here to hang out with the broken people, with the messy people, with the people who you think are going to defile you. So there's, there's this tension, this dissonance between Jesus and the Pharisees because they're, they're thinking over here. And Jesus is over here saying, that's good, I agree with that, but come over here for a while. You need to have both. You can, you can put boundaries, you can put boundaries around your heart you can have the log and the towel. You can keep your heart between the log and the towel, but you can take the good news of my message outside those boundaries. If your heart remains in the boundary, you're not going to be defiled by taking my message to the world. And that's where the disconnect happened between the Pharisees and Jesus. They weren't convinced that that was possible. Jesus gives them this little parable in verse 14. Listen to me. Listen up. Hear this. Understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. You're not defiled by what you eat or what you touch. You're defiled by what you think, do, and feel. So you can, you can practice this purity thing, but don't, don't worry that engaging with people over here, the ones that maybe you've drawn a boundary around, that's not what's going to defile you. And he calls the Pharisees out for being hypocritical. You have, you have forgotten You've forgotten why the law was put into place in, in the first place. See, Jesus was trying to remind them that the purity laws weren't designed to shine up the exterior parts of their life. The purity laws were put in place to deal with purity matters of our heart, of our motives. We have this, um, maybe I can say it like this. this. Listen to this carefully. We often think, we often think that we are sinners because we do bad things. People come into my office, tell me about bad things they did. Oh, I'm such a sinner. I understand what they're trying to say. Jesus, Jesus is saying that's a little bit inverted thinking. Jesus says, no, you are a sinner, and because you're a sinner, you do bad things. These bad things out here aren't what's making you a sinner. You're a sinner at your core. That, that's why I came. 
I, I didn't come to address all of the symptoms out here and clean up all of this out here. I, I came so that your inner heart could be purified, that you could be forgiven, that you could be transformed, that you can have an experience of meet with me and you can leave differently. If we don't think that what Jesus did would change our heart, then we're wasting our time. Jesus didn't come to clean up all of these little messes, the things, the, the things that we find ourselves mixed up in. He, he came to clean us up from the inside so that we will stop doing all of these other things. It's not all of this that's defiling us. It's what's coming out of our heart. It's where we are as people. And so sometimes we struggle with recognizing that. We think that if we clean up all these little messes, that that's somehow going to change who we are. And it'll fail you over and over and over again. It might seem to work for a little while. Hey, I ditched that bad habit. That's great. Did it change your heart? Usually when that happens, we find something else to distract us when we get bored. Jesus says, no, I came because I, I want to deal with your heart. And he is telling the Pharisees, you're concerned. You, you've, you've got the equation all wrong, backwards. Does that make sense? Okay. So we often end up treating the outside, trying to shine ourselves up. So if we face, if we feel like we're depressed, if we're trying to cure depression, uh, a lot of people, you know, they'll go shopping and buy something to make themselves feel better. They're trying to address the inner, inner issue with something on the outside to, to shine us up. Uh, if you feel lonely, some people, if they feel lonely, to cure that, they, they, they go to Facebook and Instagram and they post all sorts of really nice, happy pictures. My life is so good. But inside, man, they're lonely. But they're polishing the exterior. If you feel inferior, if, if you feel like, man, I'm just not good enough, if, if there's low self-esteem issues... Sometimes people end up going to the gym and they just try to beat their body into a, a version of them that they think is better and more outwardly appealing. When we, when we feel, this one, this was one that gets Christians. When we feel guilty about something, sometimes we busy ourselves with religious activity. I'm going to go to church this week because I really need it. Yes, you do need it. But you might be doing it for the wrong reason. Well, I'm going to join this Bible study. Or I'm going to get this new book. I'm going to wear a, what would Jesus do bracelet. I'm, you know, whatever it is, I'm going to put a bumper sticker on my cart. When we feel guilty, we start to do religious things, and that's not going to cure the problem. That's shining the exterior. That's what the Pharisees were doing. Your disciples did not wash their hands before dinner. And Jesus says, okay, but that's not, that's not really the point. You are hypocrites because you think that that's the real issue. The real issue is what's coming out of your heart. I love how Eugene Peterson puts it in the message. He, he says it's the vomit that comes out of your heart. Is that, that's what defiles you. All right, so I told you that we were going to uh, talk about the whole sentence, right? I forgot about that. Prodigal grace knows no boundaries. The problem with boundaries that Jesus is getting to is that sometimes they become unhealthy. And we, re we look at the boundaries and we think that they're there for a reason that they're not there. The original reason for the towel and the driftwood was what? To keep us oriented and safe and in view of our parents. Period. It gave us a marker in the world. You need to stay in this place. And what happened to the towel and the log? Well, our thinking changed, and now, huh, we are so much better than everybody else who's on this beach because they're not between the towel and the drift log. And we've turned it around and made it into a negative. And that's what Jesus is saying the Pharisees did with their observance of the law. Well, Then there's prodigal grace. 
This word prodigal is an, an interesting word. It's a story that we often, uh, th- there's a story in Luke chapter 15, if you want to write that down, starting in verse 11 and going on for a while. It, we often remember it as the story of the prodigal son. And if you remember, uh, this kid went to his father, basically said, Dad, I wish you were dead. I want my inheritance now. Father said, okay. Sold off a bunch of stuff, cashed out his son. Son went to a foreign land, right? Squandered everything that his father had given to him in an inheritance. Call him the prodigal son. The word prodigal uh, means wastefully extravagant. Prodigal is characterized by a profuse or wasteful expenditure. So this boy went and he was wastefully extravagant in how he used his father's inheritance. Took him down a path to where he was eating with the pigs. (laughs) That's rock bottom. And while he was at rock bottom... He said, you know what, it was, a way, it was way better at my father's house. Maybe, maybe I should apologize. Maybe I should repent and turn around and go back and ask, no, beg my father for mercy. Maybe he would allow me to be a servant in his household. So he goes home. And we know the story that it seems like dad has been sitting on the front porch, swinging in that little squeaky swing with a glass of lemonade, just eye in the horizon, waiting for the day where his son might come back. And he shows up on the horizon, and it's a parable about a running father. The dad, he jumps out of his chair, and he runs to his son, and he throws his arms around his neck, gives him a huge hug, a warm embrace, a welcoming back into the family. The son repents to his father, and there's this beautiful picture. Huge party. Kill the fattened calf. Give him a robe. Give him a ring. Give him, fully restore him to sonship. There's another brother out back who gets word of, what's all the hubbub about? And they tell him, hey, your, your brother's back and he's been welcomed back into the family. And the, and the brother's like, oh, I'm, that's it. I'm done. I'm not going in there. He's angry. The picture of the son is clearly us. At some point, we get to a place where we feel like we're at rock bottom. We need to turn around and repent and and run to God. Picture of the fathers gives us a picture of a God who is prodigal in his grace. He will pour that out, even if it seems to everybody else around him like that's a sincere, that is truly a waste of your resources. The son over here who's angry, and I'm not going into that. Can you, can you believe that? That punk? They let him back? You realize that because this other son was fully restored, that the inheritance is going to get split again when the dad passes away. So older brother over here who's angry on the outside, there's something at stake for him because it means something in his pocket. He doesn't get it. I'm not going to be part of that. That's a waste, Dad. I can't believe that you would waste that. Well, that's, that's how God works. He pours out this grace all over us. It might seem to some like it's wastefully extravagant. But God demonstrated to us that while we were 
are still sinners. Christ died for us. This is God's love in action towards us who really don't, we, what we really deserve is the opposite of love. And, when we, and, and God just graciously pours out His love on, on all of us. Grace means that God would move heaven and earth to save sinners like us who, who on our own, we, we can't save ourselves. Grace means that God sent His one and only Son to die on the cross that our sins might be forgiven and that we could be reconciled to God. And He does it lavishly. He's wastefully extravagant in His pouring out of grace and love on all of us. We don't deserve it, and yet there it is. He pours it out on us. This prodigal grace that we have been talking about, it doesn't know any boundaries. And that's the message that we need to internal, we need to take that one into our heart to remember that God has poured out this grace on us not to keep it internalized and protected and shine it up. God has poured out this grace and He has told us he tells us, he is telling us that your heart can be between the log and the towel. But the good news of my grace, you can take that across the boundary line. Your heart can stay between the boundary of the drift log and the towel over here and, and, you can go out and get tangled up in the world's mess and you can show them what my love looks like. Prodigal grace knows no boundaries. People of God said, Amen.